listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday, May the 31st in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. This is an opportunity for you to phone me here at the KFUO studios. We are live and we will attempt to answer theological questions. What are the numbers? If you're in St. Louis, just dial 8210850. Anywhere else, toll free 1-800-730-2727. Although that will not work in Asia, Africa, New Zealand, but hopefully in most of North America. Once more, 721-0850 or 1-800-730-2727. We spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about the Ascension. Uh, We dealt with it on the Wednesday Bible study and then with uh, Wes Reimnitz. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, Maybe some of you have a question about the Ascension I've often talked about that uh, a lot of people know what difference it would have made had, shall we say, Christmas not occurred, or Easter not occurred, or even Pentecost. But a lot of people are not that clear as to what difference it would have made had Ascension not occurred. And so we want to give you the opportunity if you have any questions in that area. Uh, By the way, on Monday, we'll be beginning to talk about the next great festival, which is none other than Pentecost. But without further ado, we're happy to talk with Mike. Hi, Mike. You're on the air. How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? Good. How are you doing? Better. Um, (laughs) Listen, I think I figured out the Good Friday, Easter Sunday mystery, how, how it fits the timeline. Tell me. Well, you know, in uh, um, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says that that the sign that he would give, he'd be three days and three nights in the grave or in the heart of the earth. And he says that uh, a day is 12 hours. Well, what happened was when the Roman Empire converted, when they became a Christian civilization, you know, they had an eight-day week, and they changed their calendar uh, two years after they converted into uh, or became a Christian nation. They be- they changed it to a seven-day week, and they made Sunday an official national holiday. Well, what they probably also did was that you know how we have like President's Day, where where just one, it's one day in February, but all the dead presidents' birthdays are celebrated on that day, and it's just one day. But of course, it represents a lot of you know people. Well, they probably did the same thing. They probably just set aside Good Friday and Easter Sunday as the days that we would celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though even though it doesn't exactly fit the timeline. I not have heard before that they had an eight-day week. Where did you get that from? Well, I've always known it. In fact, it was uh, Constantine in the year 313 that made him convert, or not convert, but... Change it to he, seven he days? Seven-day week. Yeah, they were always eight days, the Romans. They had an eight-day week. See, there's no there's no natural astronomical reason for a seven-day week. Yeah, it's only biblical. I understand that. But, but I hadn't heard that they had an eight-day week. I'll have to take a look at that. Well, just remember, 313, and it was done under Constantine. All right. Thanks very much for okay. that. Okay. And we're just going to keep on going down the line now and talk with Dan. Dan, you're on the air. 
Yes, sir. Good morning. Hi. Yesterday on uh, Fox News, I seen or witnessed a pro-abortionist state that abortion was not murder because the child had not yet obtained a soul. I don't believe that to be correct. Could you confirm the proper look at that? Well, what does God say about Jeremiah? In the womb, he was chosen and declared to be a prophet. And are we going to say, therefore, that Jesus in the womb could have been aborted because he didn't have a a, a soul like other human beings had? That That's really quite ridiculous. In fact, the early church would even uh, do burial services for children who had uh, abortions. So this is really kind of ridiculous. They just make up all kinds of things to try and make the point. I remember when President Clinton came out for abortion, he had been told by a a pastor of his that a child doesn't become a human being until it takes its first breath. So they change it from time to time to try and get across the idea that they're not murdering women in the womb, but that's exactly what they're doing. That's what I suspected. We're God created us with a soul. Thank oh yes, you, yeah, and it's found throughout the scriptures that even in the womb, God declares people to be His servants and His prophets, and it doesn't have to wait until. In fact. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord says to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Well, that's talking about a piece of flesh that doesn't have a soul? It's really ridiculous. I really believe that a lot of the pro-abortion people believe in evolution, of course, and that takes God out of the picture. And so they will not do anything to a woman who murders a baby in the womb. But boy, oh boy, if you destroy an eagle's egg, you're going to go to jail. Yes. At conception, we have a soul. Exactly. Well said. Thank you. I really appreciate you calling. Thank you. All right, I'm Tom Baker, and if you're at all interested in calling, don't hesitate to do so. We're just going to move on to Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I had had conversations with a um, a Lutheran pastor who was in favor of abortion, and um, I was thinking about First uh, Corinthians 6, where um, Paul is writing about um, sins against the body. And at the end, he says, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I was thinking that we always want to focus on how the, the child is not fully formed and blah, blah, blah. But that child, that child is one for whom Christ died. Christ p- paid the price of his blood for that child. Yes, you're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For uh-huh. you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Yes, yes. And that's really important to understand that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, 
that was not just for adults. Uh, Peter, when the people realize they've killed the Messiah, asks, what can we do? He says to be baptized, and he says you'll receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on and says, and the promise is to you and your children and to those who are far off, that is Gentiles. But there it is real clearly uh, right there in Peter's sermon that it's a promise also for children. Yes. Um, And I had another question. Go ahead. About John 16, and you were talking about the ascension and why the ascension is important. And in John 16, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Well, the ascension is important because they're not the disciples. We can't see Jesus. We can't see his righteousness. So I, I wish you would t- talk about that, those verses a little bit. So. I'll be glad to do so. Okay, I'll hang up. Thanks. Uh, okay, thank you so much for calling. All right, let's take a look at this. Uh, it's John chapter 16. It's entitled, The Work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I still have many things to you to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Remember, even at the transfiguration, uh, Jesus told his disciples not to tell anybody about this until after he had risen from the dead. Because people just wouldn't understand. They couldn't grasp it. He says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, what does that mean? Well, what we teach in Christianity is really a bunch of nonsense. What? What did you say? Well, it just doesn't make any sense that we spit at God, we hit at God, and he turns around and dies for us. This just isn't common sense when you stop and think about it. If somebody ever attacked you or hit you, I don't think your first reaction would be to turn around and say, I forgive you. It's really sad. Uh, not long ago, I heard a sermon when it was talking about uh, the ascension. And the the main point I believe that I got out of the sermon is when Jesus returns after the ascension on Judgment Day, how will he find you what you are doing? Well, I'll tell you how he's going to find me. He's going to find me as a sinner. He's going to find me as weak in faith. And it really kind of disturbed me to have that emphasis in a sermon that's talking about the importance of Jesus' ascension, namely that he's coming back. The only thing I could think about were a bunch of disciples who, after the crucifixion, were in an upper room, fear of the Jews. They had no faith at all that Jesus appropriately had died on the cross. So Jesus enters into the room, and what's the first words he says to them? Does he look at them and say, thanks a lot, guys. You know, I did all this for you, and then you turned against me. You betrayed me. You denied me. No. He says, peace 
be with you. And I don't understand why people don't get it. If you are a Christian, it doesn't really matter what your condition is on the day of judgment. But the words of Jesus to the Christians will be, peace be with you, enter into my home. Because none of us are going to be sinless on the day of judgment. I'm not worried about Jesus returning, as the angel said, returning in the same way that he left. But I am worried for those Christians who are worried because they have been taught, boy, you better be in good standing with God. There is no such thing as a Christian being in good standing with God, particularly where a lot of Sundays we confess we're poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Our standing with God is not based on my behavior or my sinlessness. It's based through faith in the promises of God. So, Jesus is going to be no longer visible to the disciples. So he sends them another comforter. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get into a lot more of this as we start talking about a Pentecost. But just uh, because I've been asked by Cheryl to explain this a little bit, verses 12 and following. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, what are those things? That's what we hear in the previous verses. Uh, Verse 8. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? He does that through the preaching of the law. That's why this program is called Law and Gospel. We do not make a mistake in thinking that the law is a means of grace. In other words, a means by which if we follow it, we'll get to heaven. No. The law is God's means to show us his judgment against our sin. And he will also, therefore, convict the world because they do not believe in me. Notice what that says. Very, very important, verse 9. They're not going to be convicted concerning sin because they do not obey the law, but because they do not believe in me. Faith. This is a huge thing that the Reformation brought back much more clearly than it had been found probably in previous centuries that were saved not by obedience, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And what does that faith mean? Trusting the promises connected to the historical events of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I find it's really a waste of time to prove that the historical events took place. Because all you have to do is have the Pharisees there as your teachers. They believed the historical events took place. And yet they were not saved. Because they didn't believe the promises connected to those historical events. 
And we find this more and more where people are attempting to prove that the Bible is true. Well, it means different things to different people. If you ask the unbelieving Pharisees, do you believe the Bible is true, the Old Testament? Oh, absolutely. And they believed in six-day, 24-hour creation. They believed there was a man named Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and prophets. They believed all those historical events. But they didn't believe the promises connected to them. Because when they heard about this carpenter from Nazareth who's saying that he's the Messiah, that's ridiculous. And so this is really important that verse uh, eight or uh, 9 they're going to be accused of sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, what righteousness? Martin Luther discovered it wasn't my righteousness, but the righteousness of God that he transfers over to me. Boy, that's really, really different. Okay, and finally, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus himself says that's the main reason he's coming into the world, to judge the devil. So that's just kind of a quick summary. We're going to be talking more about that as we get closer to Pentecost, but let's return to our phone lines right now, and we'll talk with Yvonne. Hello, you're on the air. Good morning, Pastor Tom. Thank you, you for the program. You're um, welcome. I'm reading in Matthew, and in Matthew, and I've read it several times, uh, chapter 11, in verse, well, starting at 23 down through 24, when he's talking about the judgment day. Yes. What, what does he mean when he says it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you? I don't understand that. Yes. Do you remember in the Bible where it talks about that we have different degrees of glory? Yes. But we really don't know what that means. Why do some people have different degrees than other people have? It, It has to do with something as God has examined your life. I have my own theory. I believe that all of us have a certain amount of opportunity to share the witness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the more you use those opportunities, perhaps the higher degree of glory you'll receive. So I've often said that a shut-in who is in her bed all the time but makes phone calls uh, helping people be comforted could have a higher degree of glory than a pastor who preaches every Sunday. The opposite is also true. There appears to be higher degrees of punishment for certain people over other people. And in verses 23 and 24, it says, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And why is this? He explains it. Scripture interprets Scripture. Verse 23 If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. In other words, people would have come to faith. Remember, God sent Jonah to the unbelieving town of Nineveh, and the whole 
town of Gentiles was converted by Jonah, even though he wasn't very enthusiastic about it. And that's what he's saying about Son and Gomorrah. If they had had the opportunity to see the work of God as you, Capernaum, have, you know, all those miracles were done, it would have remained until this day. Sodom and Gomorrah would not have been uh, destroyed. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Somehow. Uh, he told Abraham, you know, Abraham, he couldn't find ten righteous. Right. The- that's right. Yeah, that's exactly the story what we're talking about here. And for some way, there are going to be not only degrees of glory, but degrees of punishment. And we're just speculating how those two things work out, because there's no clear text, except this one here, that obviously... Capernaum had a lot more opportunity. They saw Jesus, they saw his works, and they still doubted and did not believe. And so, therefore, it's going to be less tolerable for them in hell than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the point he's trying to make. Okay. Is that helpful? very much. Okay. Thank Thank you you so much for calling. Okay. I think we can get one more. Is this Miles? Hi, Pastor. Long time no see. Or here. Uh, <laughs> what? Or, or no, no. I, I hear you, but uh, well, you haven't heard from me, so that's probably good. No, um, no. I love to hear from people. How can I help you? <laughs> okay. Well, you're talking about people that believe the Bible but don't have faith. That hasn't been my experience. I've met a lot of Christians who I think have faith that don't believe the whole Bible. Uh, But I don't think I've met anybody who professed to believe the whole Bible that wasn't, uh, you know, a Christian, convincingly to me anyway. I can't see inside of them. Well, let me ask you a a question here. I wanted to to make a corollary point, though. Well, no, I'm going to ask this question because it's almost too late. When's the last time you talked to a Jewish person? Well, when I say the whole Bible, I mean, and this is part of the point, the, the entire Bible as we have it now with the New Testament. No, I, I was talking about uh, the Pharisees didn't have the New Testament. They believed the Bible, yeah. namely the Old right. Testament. There's right. lots of people who believe the Bible and are not saved. Yeah, I've never met anybody that... Just talk to entire- a Jew. The entire scripture as we have it now. Well, they don't, they, the re- they don't have the, the entire reason, scripture. And I, they do. It's right in front of them. It's free. Uh, there's millions of copies. So I think the reason is I haven't met it. The reason is we don't believe the entire Bible without faith. Nobody can believe all oh, the sure. scriptures uh, without faith. Uh, uh, Mormons okay. do. Jehovah Witnesses no. do. Okay. Mormons okay. believe the entire Bible. Well, they they believe their version of it. They twist it. No, 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 so. no. Don't don't change the argument to version. They say okay. they believe the entire Bible. My point yeah. is, it doesn't matter okay. because they don't yeah. believe the promises. Well, but it's easy to find things they don't believe. So that that aren't anyway. Uh, I, I, that's a good. That's a good example. I, I guess I'm hoping you'll be more specific about the kinds of people that that actually actually say they believe the whole Bible that don't have faith. They actually do not believe the whole Bible. They say they do, so you're calling them liars? Yeah. 
I think you need to say that they say they do. Well, everybody says they do. (laughs) No, no, no. Most people don't say they do. Most people say they don't. Even even a lot of believers say they don't believe the whole thing. So I think you might want to qualify that every time in this era, in this epoch, by saying people who say they believe the whole Bible, because it's impossible that they actually believe it and don't have faith. That's my point. And you're the teacher. Just uh, just ask. That's it. I wanted to say, have you actually met anybody like that? I have not. I've met many people like that. I just mentioned Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, etc. Now, you may say they don't really believe the Bible. Well, I'm not going to call them a liar if they say they believe the Bible. And I'll ask them, well, do you believe in the creation? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. But is he your savior? No. I need to follow his example. I can save myself by my works. There are plenty of people like that. Um, Apostle Paul was another good example. But, of course, he didn't have the New Testament. I'll keep this in mind to be more specific. I appreciate that, Miles. And to be more clear. Monday, we'll start looking at Pentecost. I'm Tom Baker. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.